Okay, it was cute for about a day or a day and a half, but all this secession talk has got to stop, all right? You whined and cried like babies. You lost the election. You signed your petitions. We get it. All right, it's time to get back to normal. Oh, look, the Middle East has gotten completely unstable again. Well, I guess things really are getting back to normal. It's November 15th, 2012. He's been shunned by commercial radio. Unable to be bought and paid for by corporate America. And running on the fossil fuel of common sense. For those of us that choose to live dangerously in the radical middle, welcome to the zip code famous Michael Graff Show. Fifty states officially have petitions up on the White House website to secede from the union. So, here's how it works: If everybody secedes, then nobody secedes. If everybody's an independent state, then nobody's an independent state, right? So, since we've gotten that out of our system, can we go back to adult time now? Can we just get back to normal or some semblance thereof? As I mentioned off the top of the show, actually, we are sort of getting back into normal, which means chaos, of course, because the Middle East is completely blown up. Israel, Hamas, going back and forth. Gaza has completely erupted. You know, if I could think of a few places on this planet I would never want to be, Juarez, Mexico is probably right there. But even worse, well, aside from Cleveland, probably the Gaza Strip. Holy crap. East St. Louis has got to be on that list, too. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think East St. Louis might be right there, right about on the same level as uh, the Gaza Strip. Hey, look, it's gotten terrible. It's out of control. We're going to talk about that on the show tonight. But first, welcome in. Yes, the zip code famous Michael Grav Show. Thank you so much for checking us out. Contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It's Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Graff Show on Google Talk. Michael Graff on Twitter. And for everything else Michael Graff related, it's michaelgraff.com. While you're there, you can post your feedback on this or any other podcast. Check out current or previous shows. Go back into the archives. It's all good. You can check out our Twitter feed there. You can email the show. Contact us. Not to mention, you can donate to this program. Yes, we always accept your donations. Every dollar goes to the betterment of this program. Everything that you could possibly want on one site, it is at the one and only michaelgroff.com. We always encourage your feedback, so never hesitate to send it in via email or Twitter or AIM, GTalk, whatever, even on michaelgroff.com. Always, I try to respond to all the comments, questions, and suggestions. Sometimes right there, sometimes on the air. Uh, it does not matter. Uh, in fact, today, somebody sent me a question on Twitter. 
whether or not I was going to bring back the live version of this show or if we were going to stick with this format. And I'll give him uh, I'll give him and everybody else sort of the long form answer to that question. In a way, I would love to bring back the live version of this show. And all we have to do in order to do that is uh, get servers, number one. Back in the day, back a few years ago, for those of you new listeners, I used to do this show live every weeknight or most weeknights. And um, it was great. You know, had calls and uh, we had our uh, 800 number, had a staff of people, uh, guests that would come by and all that kind of stuff. It was actually a, a really good time. I love doing live radio. And I would love to do that again. But of course, yes, we do need servers to support a lot of concurrent listeners, a lot of people tuning in. Also, I would need to set up a good time of the day to get the maximum amount of listeners possible because doing a live show for three people, while uh, you know it's still live radio and it sounds compelling, really, it's not worth the inconvenience of having to set aside a, a block of time to do a show live versus being able to record it at my leisure like I do right now. So there'd have to be enough interest for that also. But I love doing the show live, and those were some of the greatest times of this show. A lot of our best of material, of course, comes from the live era of this program. So something to consider, something I'm looking forward to, and um, glad I could answer that question, I guess, in more of a long form on the air. Now, we do have a lot of things to get into. It's one of those days where there's so much going on, it's going to be hard to compress it into one program, but we're going to give it a shot here. First of all, I want to pass this along to you. This has actually been on my desk for a couple of days. Uh, we have news on the finances of the United States. A lot of you wonder about this kind of thing. The federal government in the fiscal year that just ended. Now, the fiscal year runs from October 1st through September 30th. So this just ended about a month and a half ago. The fiscal year 2011-2012, the United States government took in $2.45 trillion in tax revenue. All right. That's actually up more than 6% over the year before. So that actually kind of implies that in terms of generating revenue, the Bush era tax cuts that everyone seems to dump on, those are still in effect, at least through the end of this year. Those actually helped increase some of the revenue um, because certainly there, there were less people working and there was less job growth and less housing growth. So therefore... Uh, the tax cut revenue was still generating some income, which I, I think is just tremendous. Anyway, $2.45 trillion taken in by the government during the past fiscal year. But the problem is the government spent more than $3.5 trillion. So once again, we spent well over a trillion dollars more than what we took in. So a balanced budget, oh no, that's, that's just out of the question. Now, elections have consequences. And the reason I bring up this, these numbers about the amount of money that we took in is because Obamacare is right around the corner. It is being slowly implemented. It will be fully in place starting in January 2014. So about a year and a month and a half from now. So yeah, 13 and a half months from now, Obamacare will be in full effect. But even in January of this year, uh, some of the um, some of the uh, measures start kicking in. Business owners are really feeling the pinch because it will cost business owners a lot of money to be on Obamacare. 
You have to pay for every employee. If you have a business of more than 50 employees, you have to pay for each one of your employees. And failure to do so means you will pay a penalty or a fine or some type of punitive action, whatever they want to call it. Uh, They tried to call it a tax. They said, no, it's not a tax. They tried to call it a penalty. No, it's not a penalty. They tried to call it a fine. It's not really a fine. You know, the Supreme Court said that it's more of a, a tax, I guess. Anyway, you have to pay a penalty if you don't have health insurance for your workers or if you don't have a a health insurance plan that is up to the standard of Obamacare. So businesses are saying, well, this sucks. Uh, We're going to have to pay a lot more money. I guess we'll just have to pass that along to the consumer and make cutbacks to our staff. Already, businesses are preparing for the inevitability of having to pay a lot more for Obamacare, and they are cutting employees' hours, they are cutting staff, they are raising prices, or they are implementing surcharges. Here's a story. Um, This is Florida-based restaurant boss John Metz. He runs approximately 40 Denny's and owns the Hurricane Grill and Wings franchise. He has decided that he... Uh, He's going to start adding a 5% Obamacare surcharge to customers' bills and will reduce his employees' hours. With Obamacare due to be fully implemented in January 2014, Metz has justified his move by saying, it's the only alternative. I've got to pass on the cost to the consumers. The uh, business owner is set to hold meetings in his restaurants in December where he will tell employees that because of Obamacare, we are going to be cutting front of house employees to under 30 hours effective immediately. Quote, I think it's a terrible thing. It's ridiculous that the maximum hours we can give people is 28 a week instead of 40, said Metz to the Huffington Post. Quote, it's going to force my employees to go out and get a second job. So the very thing that Obama is very interested about, and he says that he's concerned about the economy, his own health care plan, once again, proving that elections have consequences. People don't think things through. You got to pay for this stuff somehow. And employers are going to have to shell out. That means ultimately consumers are going to have to shell out. And employees, employees are going to suffer because they're going to have their jobs uh, scaled back or they're going to lose their jobs. They're going to be laid off. We've already heard stories from places like Applebee's, And uh, who else? Who else got into this? Papa John's. And everyone is throwing them under the bus. People are getting so upset at Papa John's and Applebee's and all these other companies. Uh, Let me see who are the other companies because I just saw this. Papa John's, Applebee's, Jimmy John's, Red Lobster, uh, Olive Garden. They've all said this is going to cost us more money. Obamacare requires businesses or franchises with more than 50 workers that they must have an approved insurance plan or pay a penalty of $2,000 for each full-time worker over 30 workers. The program mandates that only employees working more than 30 hours a week are considered to be full-time employees under their health insurance plan. So, um, quote, obviously, I'd love to cover all our employees under the insurance, said Metz. But... He goes on, to pay $5,000 per employee would cost us $175,000 per restaurant. And unfortunately, most of our restaurants don't take in $175,000 a year. I can't afford it. Several other restaurants, as I mentioned, 
Papa John's, Applebee's, Jimmy John's, they plan to start cutting employees as a result of Obamacare as well or instituting surcharges that they will be passing along to the customer. Once you start growing government, once you start expanding programs, somebody has to pay for it. People go, well, I'm going to get free health care. I try to tell this to people all the time. There's no such thing as free. Everything has a price. Everything has a cost. Everything has a consequence. And Obamacare is no different. People have to pay for this ultimately, whether it's somebody that goes and decides to dine out at a restaurant one night, whether it's somebody who gets a job in, the, in this kind of business. And by the way, this isn't just the restaurant business that this is going to happen to. This will apply to small businesses across the country. Look, big corporations are going to be able to afford it. All right. Everybody knows that. The part that hurts are the franchise owners of small or medium sized businesses. Places like restaurants are probably going to be the ones that suffer the most because the profit margin in the restaurant biz, generally speaking, is fairly narrow. It's a fairly slim margin. And so the cost of these types of things, of course, they have to pass it along to the customer. And of course, they have to start cutting back employees hours. And frankly, quality is going to suffer. Uh, customer satisfaction is going to suffer. Customers may not go there as much. So the restaurant may take in less business. So they may be forced to close their doors. This kind of thing could start uh, a further decline. It could perpetuate the recession. It could take us into depression. These kinds of things, again, there are consequences. Back when people started going on and on about Obamacare back in 2009, before the measure was even signed officially, I asked one very important, very salient question. Other people were asking this as well. Who is going to pay for it? When you have a government program, you have to have a way for us, the way for the people or the way for the taxpayers to be able to pay for it, the way for the government to be able to pay for it. There is no such structure. We took in $2.45 trillion in the last fiscal year. We spent more than $3.5 trillion. So you have to make some very deep budget cuts so that we can even afford Obamacare in the first place. Not to mention businesses, even if they, if they choose not to participate, they still have to get some type of insurance plan for every one of their employees that's up to the standard that Obamacare legislation puts forth. And if they don't, they pay a penalty for that. So they either have to pay for the, for the health insurance plan or pay a penalty for not participating. Either way, the restaurant now has to pay. The business is going to suffer. People don't understand this. It's just basic economics. I don't know why people don't get that. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I don't know how many times we have to say that on the show. Everything has a cost. And if you go to Denny's, you're going to pay for it. If you're an employee, you're going to pay for it. If you go to any restaurant, chances are you're going to wind up paying for it. They got to they gotta cover the cost of this somehow. All right, uh, Superstorm Sandy, the economic fallout is beginning to be shown. There's a report out today that indicates that uh, weekly jobless claims rose to 439,000, while consumer prices rose slightly last month as uh, higher rents and costlier food offset cheaper gas. Uh, separately, a reading on manufacturing in New York State showed that factory activity slowed in November for a fourth straight month. 
Superstorm Sandy drove the number of people seeking unemployment benefits up to a seasonally adjusted 439,000 last week, the highest level in 18 months. The Labor Department said Thursday that weekly applications increased by 78,000, mostly because a large number of the applicants were in states damaged by the storm. People can, of course, claim unemployment benefits in their workplace if uh, it closes. And, of course, that would mean they don't get paid so they can file for benefits. The storm has affected the claim data for the past two weeks and may distort reports for another two weeks, the department said. The four-week average of applications, a less volatile number, increased to 383,750. So the point is, um, it was terrible. Terrible. Uh, The impact uh, from this storm has been uh, especially big on the job market. The storm, of course, cut power to 8 million households and businesses. Some are still without power. Don't worry, though. President Obama will be on that right away. Right, He's getting on that. The storm hit on October 29th. It's only November 15th. I'm sure he's got something cooked up. Before the storm distorted the figures, weekly applications had fluctuated between 360 to 390,000 since January. So obviously a a major shift in those uh, demographics because, well, because of the storm. Um, this will mean probably the unemployment rate across the country is, is going to be holding steady probably for the month of November. It may even go up a tick as a result in part of this storm system. Inflation also went up as rental costs increased. So just a lot of bad economic news all the way around and some of it directly related to Superstorm Sandy. They don't really know. They say now, uh, actually... The cost of the storm could uh, be now more than $70 billion worth of damage. $70 billion, making it one of the most costly storms ever. And that's pretty... Of course, obviously, um, Hurricane Katrina uh, was certainly more deadly in terms of lives lost. And Hurricane Andrew and Hugo and some of the other storms of the 80s and 90s if adjusted to today's dollars, may be more costly. Nevertheless, Sandy is going to be up on the list, certainly in the top 10. What a total friggin' mess this whole thing has really turned out to be. The good news, though, is that private organizations, charitable outfits, uh, private citizens are going in, and they're helping out a lot of people that have been devastated, even more so than the federal government. The federal government's response may have been bad, but private response has been good. Once again, something else that the private sector does better than the federal government. What else is new? So I'm, I'm glad to see that. Um, it was, it's definitely good news. You see a lot of very touching stories from all of this, and I'm, I couldn't be more proud of private citizens and uh, some of the charitable organizations. Most of the charitable organizations actually have done a great job helping out with Sandy. I know there's going to be uh, more benefit concerts and all that stuff. We'll keep you updated on all that as it comes about. All right, I've got to take a break. And when we continue, we have a lot more stuff uh, to get to. I've got to play you some crazy audio from CBS News. A CBS News correspondent says one of the most racist things you're ever going to hear. And it's directed, of course, at white people. That's always good. Also, we have more information on the David Petraeus, Paula Broadwell, Jill Kelly love rectangle or octagon or whatever the hell it's up to now. 
Uh, there's more information. Uh, Paula Broadwell could be facing charges as a result of some of the sensitive information that she's had access to. There's certainly going to be a lot of fallout from this. The Benghazi cover-up, everything like that. We'll get you more about that. It's really the, the newspapers uh, are turning into tabloids as we speak. The National Enquirer has probably got to be loving this. They finally don't have to make up stories about Elvis and Madonna's love child and all this other kind of stuff. They, they can actually do semi-legitimate stories now. It's got to make them happy on some level because before, the only place you could see these kinds of stories about affairs and love trysts and the weird stuff was in the Globe or the National Enquirer. It's right next to all the stories about aliens and rectal probes. I don't know. All right, so we'll certainly get into that. As I mentioned, the Michael Graff Show stupid news file, there's, there's always good stuff in there. And I think we have to do a worst song of the week. I mean, we don't really have to. I don't know if I really want to. Prepare your ears for the devastation from that. And a whole lot more still coming up. Stick around. Airing on the side of common sense. This is the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Segment number two, it's the Zip Code Famous Michael Graff Show on a Thursday, November 15th, 2012. Mike at KMGX.com. That's our email address, Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Graff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Graff Show on Google Talk. And Michael Graff on Twitter, of course. Everything else that you want, you need with regard to this program. You know it already. It's the one and only MichaelGroff.com. know why this Paula Broadwell, General Petraeus, General Allen, Jill Kelly, everybody else, like, I don't know, it's it's up to a love dodecahedron. We've graduated from triangle, rectangle, pentagon, I mean, it's involving more and more people constantly. There's an investigation going on, of course, right now, or I should say... Throughout uh, today and tomorrow, I guess they're going to be continuing this panel investigation. And uh, General Petraeus is actually going to appear before the Senate Friday regarding his uh, knowledge of Libya. He's going to say that we knew exactly what happened within 24 hours. So he's going to say that he's very mystified that this Susan Rice, who is the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., went on the public talk shows and said that this had to do with protests and this was about a YouTube video and all that when we knew right away, we knew within 24 hours that that was not the case. And she continued to peddle that notion ever since since the day that this happened. So 
This has become a very, very big deal. And obviously, Petraeus, he's, he's going to talk to everybody. Uh, President Obama has already spoken about this. Others are going to get involved. I'm sure Hillary Clinton will appear. Uh, we know that Leon Panetta, we know that others are going to make an appearance uh, regarding this as well. So it has become a big mess. Now, the other part of this story is obviously, what about Paula Broadwell? Now, that is, of course, General Petraeus's mistress. Well, the FBI is launching a probe into exactly what it is that she knows about Libya, Benghazi, and anything else that could be sensitive information that the FBI doesn't want anybody else to know about. Certainly not a biographer, certainly not somebody that has as much access as she did. So they, in fact, have, um, they've done a what they call a substantial investigation, and they have found a significant amount of classified information uh, that was secured on a computer that they discovered in her Charlotte, North Carolina home. Now, the investigators also found documents that Broadwell admitted taking from secure government buildings, a source told ABC News, adding that the government demanded that all of these documents be returned. The network said that the FBI and military were going through the material this morning and prosecutors were deciding whether to charge her with a crime. Quote, that's why they were pulling out so much stuff from Broadwell's place, a source said, referring to the search carried out Monday night, just days after Petraeus resigned as director of the CIA. The discoveries prompted the FBI to step up its probe into Broadwell, who anonymously sent, I should say allegedly sent, countless harassing emails to uh, the Florida mom, Jill Kelly, who is a friend of General Petraeus. I am still, this whole story just really smells of something incredibly fishy. It is really odd. It is peculiar timing at best that all of a sudden, oh, we're, we're going to start launching an investigation into what Obama knew about all this. And hey, look, just right after the election, hey, all, these, uh, all this information turns up that uh, General Petraeus was having an affair and all these harassing emails from anybody associated with it, from uh, Paula Broadwell to somebody else. And now even our top, uh, our top general in Afghanistan, this, um, what's this guy's name? John Allen, uh, this guy, he was sending inappropriate pictures and he was involved in a, in a love tryst or at least a, uh, an online sort of sexting and uh, sexual harassing emails or sexually explicit emails and all this other stuff. So it has become just a great big mess. Uh, I, I would never, normally this is the kind of stuff I would ignore when it, when it comes up in the tabloids or the newspaper because generally it just involves celebrities. It doesn't usually involve the head of the CIA, our general in Afghanistan, and a biographer and some other random person that is a volunteer diplomat or whatever the hell Jill Kelly thinks her title is. You know, we've heard the 911 calls. I should play some of those. Jill Kelly, the other woman that's involved in this story, uh, the woman that has received inappropriate pictures from Alan, who's uh, one of the um, investigators uh, and one of the uh, generals, rather, in Afghanistan. And, of course... She's received the harassing emails, allegedly, from Paula Broadwell. You know, she now has media on her Tampa home. She lives on Bayshore Boulevard, or Bayshore Drive, I guess, in Tampa. And 
she has the press on her property or right outside her property all the time. And as a result, her and her husband are calling 911 constantly and reporting to the police that somebody is on their property and that people are looking in. And really, all she's doing is drawing more attention to herself by, by making all these 911 calls. Every time she picks up the phone, it just draws more media attention. And maybe that's really secretly what she wants. I really think that that is what she's going after because there's information out that this Jill Kelly, this is not the first time she's tried to gin up a bunch of interest in herself. So this is a crazy story. There's so many weird details we don't really know everything about. I'm not even going to get into all of it because, frankly, we don't even know how much of any of this is true. We know that General Petraeus had an affair with Paula Broadwell. That we know because General Petraeus admitted it. All right. And Paula Broadwell, even though no one's really heard much from her about this, pretty sure that that can be verified. Anything else is... You have, kind of have to trust what the officials are reporting, what the government's reporting, what the media has gotten their hands on so far. It's, but really, there's just so much we don't know. So much that is still is probably going to come out from all of this. What we do know, again, is that Petraeus tomorrow is going to testify. He's going to appear before the Senate and tell us what he knew about Libya. Now, they've already tried to besmirch his character. And remember, David Petraeus has been the victim of character assassination before also. You may recall when we first, when we had one of those troop surges in Iraq, everyone called him David Betrayus. Remember Hillary Clinton lobbed a bunch of um, a bunch of insults at him like that and said that this will never work and all this kind of nonsense. And now, of course, they're technically playing for the same team, Hillary Clinton and David Petraeus. But the character assassination back then and even now with all of this stuff about his extramarital affairs and what he may or may not have known. But he says, hey, look, this is all mutually exclusive. I'm telling you the truth. In 24 hours, everybody knew exactly what happened in Libya, and that's all there is to know. And I hope that that's what it stays with. I hope that nobody gets up there and says to him, well, uh, General, if you're capable of lying about an extramarital affair, what's to make us think that you're telling us the truth now? Broadwell, a former intelligence officer, had her high security clearance suspended yesterday by the Army, an official said. So this story is not going away anytime soon. And what are the Republicans in the House going to do? What is the government going to do with President Obama? How much investigation are we going to have? Are we going to see impeachment proceedings as a result of this? Not something I've been advocating, still not as of today, but I want to know the truth. I do. And I think everybody needs to know the truth. And for people to just come out and blindly defend Barack Obama and the administration and the State Department and Hillary Clinton and everybody else involved, Leon Panetta, don't do that. Because really, if we've learned nothing about this government, and I know people drink the Kool-Aid, I know that there's so many people, well, there's more than 50% of the country that's still drinking the Obama Kool-Aid, all right? Don't drink the Kool-Aid. I'm telling you right now, if our government has taught us anything, whether it was in the Bush administration or the Clinton administration or just over the last 200 years, if there's one thing you need to know, it's that governments lie. People within governments lie. And why do they do it? Well, for various reasons, mainly to save face. This is one of those things. When I was thinking about this story the other day, the funny part about the Benghazi cover-up 
is that had the president just come out right away and said this was a terrorist attack and given us the details saying, look, they asked us for more security. We had two security agents there. We didn't necessarily feel that it was appropriate to send more security over there. They were the victims of a terrorist attack. Look, we, we dropped the ball and people are dead as a result. And, and it's terrible. And I, I feel absolutely awful about all of it. The State Department, people really, we as a government definitely failed these people. And I am truly and sincerely sorry for any of it. If he came out right away and said that and said, look, this is uh, this... Um, uh, a terror organization affiliated with Al-Qaeda that was responsible for this, Ansar al-Sharia, I believe, was the name of the organization. If he had just said all that and given us all the details right away, right after it happened, do you know what would have happened to this story? Boom, it would have been gone. Nothing. This would have been a not a big deal. Yeah, the Republicans would have bloviated about it a little while. They would have saber-rattled a bit, but it would have been long gone by now. That happened over two months ago. This happened on September 11th. Today is November 15th. We are more than two months removed from it, and, and it would have been way off the pages. President Obama probably would have still been reelected because he would have probably even got more votes because people would have said, hey, he came out, he was honest about it. That's the thing about lies, especially when you're talking about something like this. The more you try to cover it up, the more people think that there's a much bigger thing to hide here and there really isn't but now that you've made it such a big deal now that you've been it's lie after lie well it was a protest because of a youtube video well it was a random act of of terrorism no it was a coordinated it was a planned terror attack you knew that it was likely to happen in advance they asked for more security you didn't give it to them I realize why i mean president obama doesn't even want to think about the fact that he is the first sitting president to ever lose a U.S. ambassador while he's in office. He didn't want that on his reputation. When you try to cover something up like this, it just spirals out of control. And that's where we are now. Now General Petraeus has a whole affair that's out in the open. Uh, there's a lot of insane people involved in this, like Jill Kelly, General Allen in Afghanistan, and so many others that were involved. And really, if you think about it, because of this one little lie... Our major intelligence branches in this government, our major intelligence agencies, the FBI and the CIA, now just look like a bunch of horny dumbasses. Think about that. Because you couldn't come forward and just tell us what happened right away, now an investigation and the cover-up and everything else has revealed exactly the problem here, and that is... Man, the FBI and the CIA are... Uh, well, number one, they don't really work well together. Now that we kind of knew, but they're just... Horny dumbasses. <laughs> they really are. At the end of the day, that's that's crazy. They're a bunch of pervs. Who knew? Who knew that? Uh, I thought that you had to pass some very rigorous psychological screening to be a part of the FBI or the CIA. I guess not. Or I guess you're able to figure out how to bypass that. I don't know. You, you know how to fill out those forms and say the right things to the right people, I suppose bunch of creepers in the FBI and CIA, as it turns out, including General Petraeus. General Petraeus kind of reminds me, he, he kind of looks like um, every fantasy football player ever. He kind of, he looks kind of nerdy. You know, he's, he's an all right looking guy, I guess. I don't know, but he, he does. He, he definitely doesn't look like a general. He doesn't look like Oliver North, for example. He doesn't look like um, 
General Norman Schwarzkopf. Remember him, the guy from the first Iraq war? Schwarzkopf. Now, there was a guy that looked like a general. Uh, David Petraeus, I don't know. He um, he looks kind of nerdy, and he doesn't look like the kind of guy that would be involved in, a, in an illicit affair. He looks like the kind of guy that would spend his nights setting up his fantasy football roster, calling into a talk show. All right, uh, I've got... I've got a running back question. Uh, <laughs> that's the kind of thing I, I sort of f- perceive um, General Petraeus being like. But look, I, I mean, he's got a, an impeccable service record. And I'm poking fun at him a little bit, but only because the guy is clearly kind of creepy. I mean, anybody that has an extramarital affair like that is a creepy guy. I guess the other point is, is we have a mindset about what a creepy guy looks like, what a weirdo looks like. General Petraeus doesn't remind me of that at all. So I guess you really can't judge a book by its cover is what I'm trying to say here. Oh, and speaking of creepy guys, you know, social media has really done a number on this society. And it's a love-hate relationship I have with it. Part of me thinks it's great that now all the creepy people, the nuts, the insanos, the whack jobs, the pervs, all the usual suspects, they're all out in the open now because they have an outlet for their wackiness. The other part of me says, I really don't want to know about these people. And I don't don't think that they should have a forum to express their nutty views and mindsets. Nevertheless, a guy in Melbourne, Florida named Christopher Castillo. Well, he's got a bunch of guys in suits that have gone to his house because of a November 1st Facebook post that he wrote. And he says, quote, That's the last straw. If he, referring to President Obama, gets reelected, I'm going to hunt him down and kill him. Watch the life disappear from his eyes. When a Facebook friend uh, responded that threatening the president's life was a crime, Castillo, 28, replied, quote, I wouldn't call it a threat, but more of a promise. Let him come after me. Be more than happy to take a few of them with me. See, right there. When somebody writes this, and I realize it's Facebook and people, you should see some of the stuff people write on Facebook or Twitter or social media in general, even back to the MySpace days. People will write anything and they think that there's no consequence to what they say. This happened on election night too. There have been a bunch of people that have been investigated for their Twitter posts. I saw a few of them and it's just insane how angry and how crazy people get. And I think alcohol probably has something to do with a few of these people. Uh, Some of them are just crazy, and now they have an outlet to be crazy. They don't just get on the phone and talk to their one friend. Now they they post it online. They're like, yeah, I'm going to get on social media and tell everybody just how nutty I am. After Castillo admitted authoring the threats, which were prompted by Obama's views on health care, a Secret Service agent asked him, quote, what he would do if the president was standing here right now. Castillo did not hesitate to make matters worse. So, okay, so you've written your threatening Facebook post. All right, you've said, hey, uh, if President Obama gets elected, I'm going to kill him. And then your friend on Facebook says, hey, man, uh, just so you know, threatening the president, not a good idea. And he goes, hey, I don't care. I'll take, if anybody shows up, I'll take him with me. So then the Secret Service agent knocks at your door and says to you, I've got a few questions, sir, about your Facebook post. Uh, For example, what would you do if the president was standing here right now? And you say to him, quote, scream and yell at him and tell him he was a terrorist. When Agent Charles Johnson then told Castillo that his statements were in violation of federal law, Castillo remarked, quote, it did not matter. 
Wow. Castillo was arrested today on a felony complaint filed in U.S. District Court in Orlando, Florida. He will remain in custody until pre-trial services officials can uh, outfit him with a GPS monitoring device. So now they're going to they're going to slap an ankle bracelet on this guy or something. The original threat against Obama can no longer be found on Castillo's Facebook page, which lists his occupation as a car detailer at a BMW dealership in Melbourne. Maybe it's time for a little public service announcement. Just so you people know, threatening anyone's life is a crime. Threatening the life of a head of state or a congressman of any sort or the president of the United States or any world leader, that is a federal crime. And in the case of other world leaders, it could be an international crime. You will go to jail for a long, long time. You will be locked away. No one will hear or see you again for quite a while. They take that stuff pretty seriously. And I understand that the FBI, the CIA, the Secret Service, they're uh, pretty busy right now. They're, uh, you know, they're way down deep in these love trysts. But I'll tell you what, they're still... They're still uh, good enough to track down the yokels that would post these kind of threatening things on Twitter and Facebook and any other source. Don't do it. Really not worth it. Don't even joke about it. People get so angry. It's so weird. People get so upset and they think, well, probably because of alcohol, they go on there, I'm going to tell the president just what I think about them. I'm going to write me a post up bears on, uh, on them uh, and that Twitters and that Facebook. I'm going to go on theirs. I'm going to tell, I'm going to get on the pewter. I'm going to write write him something right now as a tape. In retrospect, it was probably a bad idea to let the South have the internet, now that I think about it. I'm going to get on that pewter. I'm gonna show. Yeah, until you guys figure out your book learning, I don't think you should really have access to the pewter, all right, or the interwebs, or any of that stuff. Oh, boy. All right, coming up after the break, we have a lot more stuff. The Michael Graff Show Stupid News File continues. I've got some great audio I want to play for you also about a very racist woman on CBS News. This is an actual CBS News correspondent that is very racist, has some interesting remarks. You'll get to hear those and uh, so much more, whatever we can come up with. I think we have a worst song of the week that we have to get for you as well. That and anything else we can come up with, it's all straight ahead. Stick around. <laughs> Proving there's never a shortage of things to criticize. You're listening to the Zip Code Famous, Michael Graff Show. this will surprise no one but it's getting very ugly over in Israel once again the Gaza Strip heating up 
I don't know why people say that the Middle East is unstable or getting unstable. It's always been unstable. It's like a chemical reaction that's constantly going or a volcano that's always percolating, sending off steam into the sky and occasionally blasting out molten rock and ash and smoke. This thing is always ready to boil over at any second. And once again, Israel is defending itself. And they are once again in the right. This is an area that is perpetually surrounded by people that live in the 8th century. And I want to make it very clear before we go any further, because I know my comments always seem to get obfuscated or people just don't seem to understand. I'm not saying that everybody that's in Jordan or Syria or Iran or Lebanon or Saudi Arabia, I'm not saying everybody there is some backwards... 8th century dwelling, Stone Age living freak. But let's face it, the majority of the people over there and the laws that govern many of the countries that surround Israel are very backwards. It's a very backwards culture and mentality. And here is Israel. They're, they're living in the 21st century. They're an industrialized nation just trying to live peacefully in, in a region where they are roundly hated when the governments of surrounding nations indoctrinate their people to hate Israel, this is the kind of thing that they have to live with in the region. They're constantly fighting with the Palestinians and the terrorist organizations like Hezbollah and Hamas and having to deal with Iran and Ahmadinejad and these other wackos and Al-Qaeda and everybody that predominantly hates the Jews in that region. So they're surrounded by this kind of crap. And so Israel finally does something. They sent an armed drone in to take out one of these heads of Hamas, that terrorist organization that inhabits the area. And it just has blown up from there. Five Palestinians were killed by Israeli airstrikes on Thursday morning as militants fired around 250 rockets into Israel, killing three Israelis. The latest violence raised the total number of Gazans killed by Israeli airstrikes since Wednesday to 15. At least 120 other residents in the coastal enclave have been injured, according to medics. In the same period, Gaza rockets killed three Israelis and injured another five in a direct hit on a residential building in the southern town of, Kir of Kurat. Um, this, uh, according to Israeli police, quote, we have three killed spokesperson Luba Samari told the AFP news agency saying that four other people were also injured in a direct hit on a house in the town 30 kilometers north of the Gaza Strip. The fighting began, of course, when Israel assassinated Ahmad al-Jabari, who is the head of Hamas military wing. This was an airstrike on his car with one of those armed drones. Jabari's bodyguard and son were also killed in the strike. Thursday's rocket attack into Kirat Malahai was claimed by Jabari's group Ezidine Al-Qassam Brigade. They are... Um, this is a statement, uh, I guess, on the Hamas website. As some of you may know, Hezbollah and Hamas and these other groups, they're not like all the other jackasses that inhabit the region. They're not stuck in the 8th century. They're fully 21st century capable. They have the interwebs and everything. They actually have websites, a public relations department, spokespeople. I'm not making this up. They have TV stations. The Hezbollah has a TV station. They have media outlets. They have a Facebook and Twitter presence and websites. This is 
I, I, the fact that Israel allows these people to exist is frankly amazing to me. If I was in charge, they would have been gone so long ago. You never would have known that they were around. It's remarkable. So 250 rocket attacks, just it goes on and on. Israel authorities, yes, they said 250 rockets and mortars were fired by Hamas and other armed groups from Gaza as of Thursday afternoon. And its Iron Dome interceptor missile system had shot down dozens of other projectiles. On, on either side of the frontier, people fled streets for cover. I know I've been saying this for years on the show, but one of these days, Israel is just going to blow up and they're going to just take over and start massive attacks on all of these different organizations and even neighboring countries if they start getting involved. They will do it. They almost did it a few years ago. You might remember when they went into Lebanon to go after Hezbollah and some of these other nut jobs that kept firing on innocent people within the um, within Israel and uh, even firing on uh, malls and crowded areas and residential areas. This is what these radical nut jobs do. And there will come a point, remember, Israel was in there for about three weeks or so in Lebanon, or maybe a month. I mean, it just went on and on. And people were bashing Israel. It shows you the anti-Semitism that runs deep all across not only the region, but really the world. Remember, France was denouncing Israel and people in the UN were just begging for sanctions and, and punishments and penalties against Israel, for God's sake, because I don't know, what are they doing? Defending themselves? That's what they've been doing all along. Ever since they've become a country, they've had to endure attacks from the Palestinians and suicide bombings and Hezbollah and Hamas and Syria and Iran that funds some of these uh, terrorist groups and Al-Qaeda and Ansar al-Sharia and these other nuts that all want the Jews to be eliminated. If it were up to them, they would have another Hitler-style genocide against Israel. They would. They're not going to be happy with peace. Remember, presidents, George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George H.W. Bush, they have all tried to have peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians and other organizations and nations around there. Remember George W. Bush's roadmap for peace? Well, that didn't work out so well. And President Clinton actually had a sit down with the Israelis and the Palestinians. He actually got them to meet I think it was uh, Ariel Sharon and Yasser Arafat. He got them to meet. They hammered out a deal whereby the Palestinians would get 98% of everything they were asking for, including land and various assurances from the Israeli government and money and weapons and all sorts of things. And they, would, they were going to get almost everything they wanted. And the Palestinians said no. Why did they say no? Because... They don't want that. They don't want peace. They want the Jews to be gone. And remember, of course, the Palestinians are hated by all the other Arab nations around there. None of the other nations wanted to take in the Palestinians and give them their own little state within those countries. Egypt threw them out. Lebanon threw them out. Uh, Jordan threw them out. So they have, they're sort of like a nomadic people themselves. They have never been wanted. So now they say, all right, well, we'll just take land from the Jews. That's what we're going to do. And the Israelis have always been so, uh, so helpful. They have really, they've been very compromising to the Palestinians over the years and to these other terror groups. And I say, why? Because they want so desperately to have peace. They don't want to blow up everything in the region. But at what cost, at what point do you just say, all right, it's not worth it anymore. We have tried and tried and tried. And these people, they don't want peace. And I'm not saying every Palestinian 
is like this or everybody that's in Iran is indoctrinated to hate the Jews or Syria. Although I can pretty much say anyone that's involved with Hezbollah or Hamas or Al-Qaeda or Ansar al-Sharia or any terrorist organization, they want to blow up the Jews. I mean, that is very obvious. But uh, a lot of people, a majority opinion in that region is that they won't be happy until the state of Israel is gone. That's it. They won't be happy until the Jews don't exist anymore. The thing that you should remember about groups such as the Palestinians or Hamas or Hezbollah, you cannot reason with unreasonable people. It has been proven time and again that even if you hammer out an agreement, they'll abide by it for a little while until it no longer suits them and they'll start lobbing rocket-propelled grenades into malls or fairs or residential areas. It keeps happening again and again. And Israel is reaching the breaking point. And I know if I were in charge of a country that was being attacked constantly, daily almost, you know, here in the United States, we're fairly fortunate, all right? And I don't want to diminish what's happened, but we've really not been the victim of many terrorist attacks. Yes, we had the big one on 9-11-2001 and 3,000 people were killed. And we had an attack on the USS Cole back in 2000, all right? Although that wasn't on United States soil, it was still a U.S. ship attacked by a terrorist group. Uh, we had, obviously, the Benghazi situation in September, September 11th of this year. But really, compared to Israel, what, we've had three uh, major terrorist attacks on uh, the United States or uh, United States vessels uh, in the course of the last uh, 12 years. Obviously, we've had a few more on, on embassies and on individuals across, and certainly in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm not talking about that necessarily, but just major terrorist attacks. Israel has major terrorist attacks that occur every day. They have to put up with this constantly. So I think it's gotten to the point for them that they're just tired of it. They know that it's, there's peace is just an impossible pipe dream, and they need to start taking some serious action. And I think the United States needs to finally take the position of stepping back and saying to Israel, you know what? You guys do whatever you've got to do. We're not going to tie your hands anymore. We're not going to tell you not to do it. We really don't want you to start dropping nuclear weapons, all right? We still kind of have that proviso. But anything else, you know what? Go for it. We're, we're tired of it too. You do whatever you want. Because the United States really shouldn't be involved in these areas anyway. Israel is more than capable of taking care of themselves if they want to. They have Israeli Mossad. They have the most advanced intelligence in the world. It's just that simple. They know where Hamas is located. They know where Hezbollah is. They know where the bad guys are in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan and surrounding areas. They know what they have to do if necessary. They know where Iran is building their nuclear program. They can certainly, they're more than capable of taking care of themselves if they want to. And I say, if the United States, my, my position, if I were the president of the United States, would be this. You know what? We're not going to tell you not to do it anymore. We're going to say, you need to do whatever you have to do to defend your nation against these radical nut jobs and against these people that are stuck about 15 centuries behind us. Go for it. Do it. We'll certainly keep you updated on what happens with all of this. All right, turning to something a little bit less serious, although some people will, will probably take this story just as seriously. A few weeks ago, we didn't talk about this on the podcast. At least I don't think so. Uh, so George Lucas sold the Star Wars empire to Disney. 
Yes, believe it or not, of all the places he could have sold his his cash cow, George Lucas finally said, "All right, I'm going to sell this thing. I'm getting o- up in my age here. I'm getting uh, I'm getting on in the years. Guess I'll sell Star Wars. Why not?" And he sold it to Disney of all people for four billion or four point five billion dollars. Just ridiculous amount of money. And I know a lot of people were upset saying, oh my God, now we're going to turn it into like Pixar animation and it's going to be like Mickey Mouse is associated with Star Wars. We can expect more characters like Jar Jar Binks in the future. Like I thought the first three Star Wars, and I mean, when I say the first three, I mean from 1977 till 1985, you know, I thought that the original Star Wars movies were great. I thought that episode one the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith and all these and Attack of the Clones. I thought those were just, those were bad. They had some good parts to them, but I thought that they were just bad by comparison. And now Disney has taken over um, the Lucas successor, if you will. The person that's in charge of all this is a person named Kathleen Kennedy. And they say that Disney wants to produce two or three films a year. Two or three Star Wars movies a year. Talk about watering down the product. George Lucas would spend so many years developing each movie. And he had a whole sequence. He had a whole idea in mind before he would put out a movie. Whether or not you liked uh, episode one or episode two, whether you liked those or not. And I, I didn't for the most part. But you can tell that at least a lot of thought was put into it and at least... George Lucas was still very much involved. Now it's going to be like mass produced stuff. It's going to be like uh, um, all those subsequent episodes of the Lion King and all this other stuff that they put out. It's just going to be mass produced and you know, it's going to be garbage. Come on. Any Star Wars fan, two or three a year. So much for quality. I guess they're even considering going the route of, oh my God, they really are considering going the route of uh, some of the films, maybe uh, animated series animated flicks like more children's geared some will even have like the pixar animation i was just being a smart ass and now i'm looking through this story and uh some might involve of course more adult related type of content but you can see the uh there's an interview with this woman kathleen kennedy it's going to appear in uh, next week's entertainment weekly so you want to check that out see the direction that uh, the Star Wars trilogy is moving into. And uh, frankly, I'm a little bit scared. Nothing is more dangerous than an angry Star Wars nerd. I think we've proven that over time. Oh, no. I'm going to hear about this. This is going to be all over the blogosphere. I wish I wish Lucas hadn't sold Star Wars. Even though I, I'm not sitting there. I don't watch. I'm not an obsessed fan. I don't know everything about the storyline. And I don't know all of the backstories. I have friends that are so obsessed. They watch... Star Wars constantly like even the original uh, movies they watch them over and over and over and they know everything that's in the books and all that stuff don't piss off those people because I know some of those people and I I like some of those people but oh the rants I'm going to be hearing way to go Disney thanks a lot George Lucas just screw all of you all right Uh, I do have some interesting audio here to play for you this is from MSNBC Melissa Harris Perry, I guess is the show. And among, look, there's several interesting comments that are made in this clip. None more interesting than one from a CBS News correspondent that you'll hear. This is about a a one minute, 15 second clip. Just 
fascinating, bizarre, and racist crap coming out of the mouths of, uh, uh, there's a panel of four people here, I guess. And I think three of them are black. And you're going to get some very interesting takes on white people in this clip. Here we go. This is very bizarre stuff. Uh, well, it's from MSNBC, so what more would you expect? So we know that these minority groups will only continue to grow until people of color in the United States are the majority. But demographics, demographics are not electoral destiny. Which is more important, that there are more diverse citizens participating in the electorate, that these voters have a more diverse array of candidates with appealing policies from which to choose? It's all very complicated. Joining me now to answer all those questions again, Steve Kornacki, Wade Henderson, Raul Reyes, and Nancy Giles. All right. I think that the news of the demise of the white man is vastly <laughs> overstated. Oh, I mean, I, I, am I, I, it's been a weird couple of days. Yeah. It's been weird right. to watch white people report on this. I mean, they look, I mean, it's I'm been weird to, to watch and, white and people you know, report you, on this. You just showed that graph of the, of the decline of the numbers. I thought maybe that's why they're trying to eliminate all these abortions and stuff. They're trying to build up the race. Well, you know, wow. I mean, there, there is always eugenics associated. How Creepy, right? I can't believe that. That just happened. Yes. She said maybe that's why they're pushing for all of these abortions so they can build up the race. Sometimes comments are so bizarre and so inherently racist and stupid that they don't even need a comment. But I guess just like I told the people that are for the secession movement, you just need to be beaten with a sock full of nickels. I think that's just shut up. Really, just shut up. Get off the TV. Shut up. And if we're going to take it seriously, let me just say that I think that people that are pro-life are not just pro-life for white people. I think they're pro-life for everybody. And we do know that in the African-American community, uh, more of it, like by a margin of more than two to one, abortions are higher in the African-American community. So I think, if anything, they're trying to, the, the they, the white people, or the, that you describe so, uh, so aptly here, they're actually probably trying to help your race, if anything. You stupid racist pig. My God. See, this just shows you, once again, racism, it's a very interesting paradox. Racism is not racist. It transcends all races. Black people are racist. White people are racist. Racism is alive and well everywhere. And that clip right there demonstrates it perfectly. Maybe that's why the white people are for abortions. They're just trying to build up their race. The way she said that, too. She really thought that she just hit on something really intelligent there. Where else but MSNBC would you expect to hear such illuminating commentary as that? You wonder why they're dead last in the cable news race. Well, there's your proof. Okay, well, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the worst song of the week. It's a feature that we roll out here because, as you know, the music industry is just on a downhill slide. The quality of music continues to decline at a record pace. And, well, we like to highlight the worst of the worst. And it does not matter what genre it is. It could be any genre that qualifies. And, of course, you can always send in your submissions as well. It's a song that is usually released within the last couple of months that has come to mind, that has come to our attention, a particular blight on the music industry. And this week, it is an artist called Abrina featuring Problem. Another one of these, every artist now, it seems like every artist, it's always a at least a collaboration 
of two or three or five or whatever. Abrina featuring problem. This is called Dat Good. It's the worst song of the week right here on the zip code famous Michael Groff show. hope you like this refrain. You're going to be hearing a lot more of it. Sometimes people come down on me a little bit for saying that the music industry or that the quality of music is on a very quick spiral downward. But how much more evidence do you need to prove that case? I think this pretty much certifies that, right? I bet she's going to say, give it that good about 10 more times. Jody wanted. All right. I've hung with it as long as I possibly can. We always like to do this right at the end of the show so that it uh, doesn't leave that terrible a taste in your mouth for too long. You know what they always say? Always leave them wanting more. Well, I always leave you wanting less. <laughs> that's that's what I do here. We like to end the show on uh, on notes like that. <laughs> All right. Well, there it was. The worst song of the week. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, we always try to incorporate features like that into the program because, you know, secretly, you look forward to that. Even if I don't, I know you do. So that's why we do it. And of course, if you'd like to submit something for Worst Song of the Week, you can certainly pass that along to us. Hopefully, it's a song that's relatively recent. Again, coming out within the last few months, we'd be more than happy to play it. Well, we'll play it. Let's just put it that way. All right, before I get out of here, I want to pass along one other personal note, um, sort of a tragic note in my life personally here, and that is that a friend of mine just passed away due to brain cancer, uh, a friend of mine named Ron. And many years ago, I think I mentioned him on the program a couple of times. He contributed a couple of news articles and things like that to this show. But moreover, he had an effect on my personal life. Now, I didn't get to see the guy nearly as much as I'd like to, especially the last three years. I think I've only seen him maybe two or three times in the last four years or so. Um, but that's mainly because even though we live in the same metro area, he has a wife and kids and a lot of responsibilities. And he ran like a, a, toy, a toy store and airsoft merchandise, you know, uh, BB guns and stuff like that. And he was involved with that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I had lunch with him. A couple of my friends and I, we'd have lunch with him from time to time. And But I've known the guy since high school. It's just very tragic. Uh, he had a brain tumor on the right frontal lobe, I guess. And they did emergency surgery back in June on it. And it seemed like everything was going all right. And then I guess the tumor came back on the other side of the brain recently. And obviously, at that point, it was very much terminal. 
It's just very sad. And you know, the guy is 36 years old, just a couple of years older than me and has a wife and twins. Just very, very sad. A very sad story. He was always a friend to me and maybe, sure, not as close a friend as I would have liked. And I didn't know him on quite the level that some other people did. However, I still definitely consider him a friend. I've known him, again, since high school. He actually helped distribute the very first album that another friend of mine, you know, Johnny, who comes on the show from time to time. Uh, we put out an album back in 1996, 97, and he helped distribute that at Comic-Con, among other places, and did some of the artwork for it and everything like that. So um, was always very helpful, very encouraging, and just a nice guy to me and to many of my friends. So certainly going to miss the guy, although I have many fond memories, and I'll, of course, always carry those with me, but... Uh, obviously, it's always a loss, regardless of how old someone is when they die. It always hurts. But when someone goes way before their time, so to speak, when someone is 36 years old and still has quite a future ahead of them and has a family, a wife and kids and is full of life and all that sort of thing, it's, it's a crushing blow. There's no doubt about it. I was at the guy's wedding back in 2001. I remember... Uh, his wedding was underscored by another death among our circle of friends. A very close personal friend of his died in a motorcycle accident. And I even talked about that on the show here. That was, again, back in 2001, our friend Josh uh, died. And so Ron was very much of the mindset that it was really time to get life going because you just never know when everything's going to come to an end. So... He was right, I guess, and that's it's unfortunate because aggressive cancer, just terrible, really is. Not to bring down the show with all of this, I, but I, I really felt that I should at least give it a mention. He did contribute to this show very early on and contributed to me personally and was just a friend as well. Not only to me, really, he was a friend, a very close friend to some of my other friends, and so their loss... And his family's loss. That's really where it hurts the most. All right. Contact information for the program. Mike at KMGX.com. That is my email address. Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show. AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk. Michael Groff on Twitter. And for everything else that you want related to this program, you can always go to MichaelGroff.com. While there... Feel free to give your feedback, comments, questions, suggestions on this or any other podcast of ours. Yes, you can listen to older episodes of this program. Also, donate to us. You can check out the Twitter action. All of that is connected via michaelgroff.com. Thank you so much for listening. I never take it for granted. I appreciate every single one of you for tuning in, taking the time to check out this podcast. And we will see you next time for another edition of the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show. Good night, everybody.